Who says you need a plus one for a satisfying date night? Meet Hello Date Night, the book box that contains everything you need for a perfect night of pleasure. Each box comes with an autographed copy of The Bad Girl List, a discreet feminine pleasure toy with a matching travel bag, and a sensual rose candle. Say yes to your perfect date night and head over to mariematthew.com to purchase this limited edition book box today. Hello and welcome to season one of Romance with Heart and Heat, your podcast and YouTube show for contemporary rom-com audiobook serials. My name is Marie Matthew and I'm the author of the stories you're going to hear on this channel. The title of season one is The Bad Girl List and this is a fake dating second chance rom-com set in California wine country. Find out how one life-changing vacation list puts the heart of Dominique Chen on the line when she meets sexy wine grower Trevor Moretti. The content of this channel is intended for audience members that are 18 years and older. There is some explicit content on this channel, there is light swearing, and there are some explicit spicy scenes. So I don't want any surprises as people move into the story so you have been warned. Be sure to stick around at the end of each episode for author commentary. And if you have any questions or comments, you can drop them into the comments section in YouTube, or you can also send me an email at romancingmarie at gmail.com. I'll do my best to answer questions and comments in future episodes on the show. Please like and subscribe to my channel on your favorite platform, whatever that happens to be. And please help me spread the word and share the show with your friends. Now, as you're listening along, if you get to the point where the tension's too much and you just can't wait to find out what happens next, you can head over to mariematthew.com and you can purchase the complete season of The Bad Girl List over on my website. It's available in ebook format, audiobook format, and there's also autographed hardbacks and paperbacks. So you will get the entire season for free on YouTube and the podcast. But again, if you just can't wait, head over to mariematthew.com. Thanks so much for listening. And now it's time for some romance with heart and heat. I hope you enjoy. Chapter 9. Hangover. Dominique. I wake up feeling like death warmed over. Letting out a soft groan, I roll over and try to hide under the blankets. Morning sleepy head, rise and shine. Annika yanks the covers off my head. She looks disgustingly chipper considering the night we had. Then again, Annika's alcohol tolerance is well honed in comparison to mine. She and her restaurant friends drink people like me under the table all the time. She's already dressed in jeans with a tank top and sandals. Her makeup is perfect and her hair looks like she came fresh from the salon. How does she do that? Time to get up, Annika says. We have a schedule today and your mom is cooking breakfast. Can you tell her I'm sick? Hell no, Annika says. It's the first day of passport. We're going to treat your Cosmo hangover with some wine. That sounds like a really bad idea, I say. Are you kidding, Annika says. The best treatment for a hangover is more alcohol. Why do you think I took up day drinking? Besides, what are you whining about? You puked up at least half the alcohol you consumed. You really shouldn't be feeling that bad. I think there is a band of gnomes hammering at my head with pickaxes, I say. I can picture the tiny little bodies and their maniacal grins as they rail away on my skull. Maybe I'll draw them later, if my hungover body can properly hold pencils. You are so weird. Here, Annika sets a glass of water on the nightstand between our two twin beds. Take the Tylenol, then come and eat. Your mom is fixing sausage and eggs. It's the perfect meal to help you soak up that hangover. Plus there's coffee. She kneels in front of the bed so that we're eye level. I am so damn proud of you, cousin. Not only did you drink yourself sick, but you almost fucked a smoking hot guy in the trunk of a car. Don't remind me. 
Embarrassment makes me yank the covers back over my head, thinking of how I had thrown myself at Trevor in a drunken fit of horniness in a parking lot no less, is only made worse by remembering my spectacular puke display in the vineyards. My skin prickles with humiliation. I'd been so mortified by the combination of events that I hadn't even been able to look at Trevor on the way home. Had I really unbuttoned his jeans and shoved my hands down his boxers? Yes, yes I had. I can still remember what he felt like in my hand. The memory does all sorts of things to my body, so I push it firmly out of my mind. I had no idea male body parts could be that nice. I had behaved like a character out of a bad romance novel. Thank God I don't know anyone around here. I'm going to chalk up the situation to excessive cosmos and leave it behind for good. It's not like I'll ever see Trevor again. Annika pulls back the blanket and looks at me. I love you cousin. Our vacation is off to a great start. Now get your ass up and come eat breakfast. Somehow, I manage to get out of bed and take down the Tylenol on the nightstand. It feels like the feet of an Olympian athlete. Our room looks like our suitcases exploded. To be exact, it looks like Annika's suitcase exploded. In less than a day, she's managed to make our room almost as messy as her apartment. She has clothes in different piles all over the room, some on the floor, some on top of the dresser, and some hanging halfway out of her open suitcase. How can she look so fabulously put together all the time, yet live in such chaos? It's never made sense to me. I'm still in Trevor's shirt. Thanks to his amazing hands, half the buttons are gone. Ignoring how good it smells, I fold it up and leave it on the bed. I guess I don't have to worry about returning it to him. It might even be worth putting up with Annika's teasing to use it as a pillow. Walk of shame, I mutter, rummaging through the dresser where I had organized all my clothes. Definitely a walk of shame, Dom. I probably should put on something cute, like a sundress or something. That's what people do when they go wine tasting. But that would require too much coordination for the way I'm feeling right now. And since my favorite pair of cargo pants is soaked in wine and sitting in the back of a Tesla, I opt for my second favorite pair of cargo pants. They're a deep olive green. I pair it with a plain black crop top, slip my feet into my sneakers, twist my hair into its customary twin buns, and call it good. Annika will probably give me crap for not making an effort, but screw it. I should get a medal for being vertical. Out in the kitchen, the rest of my family is already up. The kitchen is the same era as the front of the house. It feels like we've stepped into a time warp. Battered oak cabinets line a galley kitchen. The countertops are covered in chip tile. The walls are a cheerful yellow, and bright red curtains with embroidered yellow flowers hang on either side of the window. The plates on the table are a red and yellow pattern that match the kitchen. To most people, this place might look like it needs a remodel, but I wouldn't change a thing. I love the character. The tips of my fingers start to tingle. I want to draw the light coming in through the kitchen window as it lands on the steaming frying pan. I want to draw my mother standing beside the stove, spatula in hand as she works the eggs. Despite the fact that I have gnomes beating at my head with pickaxes, a smile spreads across my face. Seeing my family gathered in the kitchen brings a warm feeling to my chest. Good morning, mom says brightly, depositing a mountain of scrambled eggs onto a large platter in the middle of the table. Good morning, Auntie Helen and Auntie Diego. I hope my chipper smile hides my hangover. Morning. I give my mom a quick hug and join my family at the table, grabbing the cup of coffee waiting by my plate. Besides the sausage and eggs, there's also fresh orange juice. Annika tells me you girls met some nice locals last night, NTD says. I manage not to choke on my eggs. Yeah, it was fun, I reply, keeping it vague. How's Oliver, mom asks, helping herself to a few pieces of sausage. Annika shoots me a quick look from behind her orange glass. I plaster on my best fake smile and say, he's great, mom. He got a promotion. Both things are true. The promotion happened just a few days before he broke up with me. And how could he not be great with his new girlfriend? He got a promotion, Auntie Helen exclaims. You should have said something, Mom chides. We'll have to celebrate after we get back from vacation. 
How is work going? And here it is. The two things my family is most proud of. My boyfriend and my job. That took less than 60 seconds. Last week I worked on new label concepts for a winery, I say. Also technically true. Mom's smile lights the room. It makes me wilt inside. I want so badly to make her proud. Which means I need to double down on my efforts to find a new job as soon as we get back from vacation, preferably at a design firm that is even more prestigious than Presidio. With any luck, I can make it look like a strategic move to further my career, and she'll never know I got fired. Which one, Antidi asks. What, I ask, having lost the thread of the conversation. Which winery hired your firm for the label redesign? Maybe it's one of the wineries on our schedule. Oh no, Annika says. She's not going to tell you guys. Why not, Auntie Helen asks. Because if that winery is on the schedule, you guys will act weird when we go there, Annika says. You'll do something like accidentally on purpose mention that Dom is working on their label. Thank you, Annika. We wouldn't do that, Mom says, but her expression says otherwise. We know better than to embarrass you, Auntie Helen says, but she also looks guilty. Aha, Annika says. Nope, you guys don't get to know the name of the winery Dom is designing for until our trip is over. I grab the vacation schedule off the table. Auntie D is infamous in our family for her schedules. The sheet of paper is divided into squares, each one labeled with a date. There's a square for each day of vacation with the corresponding schedule. She even has driving times marked between each of the events so we can plan accordingly. And there it is. Moretti Winery. Third on our list today. Of course we're going to visit the winery that got me fired from Presidio. The universe is clearly out to screw with me. With the way my luck is going, I'll run into Sofia while I'm there. Or even worse, Tim Moretti. You okay, Dom? Mom asks. Yeah, I'm fine, I say around a mouthful of sausage, hoping my fake smile looks genuine through my poor table manners. Keep going, auntie. What else is on the schedule today besides wine tasting? I found a Groupon for Sizzler, Auntie Helen says. We'll go there for dinner tonight. Auntie Helen is the family's researcher. If there's a bargain to be found or a way to get out of paying full price, she'll figure it out. I have no doubt she is the one who secured our 80s lodging for our trip. She's also the one who spent weeks researching digital design degrees when it was time for me to start applying for college. And when I graduated, my gift was a list of the top 20 firms I should apply to. We have 20 minutes to eat and finish getting ready, Mom says. That will put us at the first winery in time to get a good parking space. Auntie D is the scheduler, Auntie Helen is the researcher, but my mom is the organizer. She's the one who brings everything together. She'll be the one keeping an eye on the clock and making sure we stick to today's timetable. Some people might not like this, but Annika and I love our family vacation schedules. It means we don't have to think. Everything is planned out for us, and all we have to do is show up and have a good time. We don't have to plan meals, figure out where we're going, or even drive. Plus the aunties pay for all the outings and the VRBO. Dom and I have a present for the aunties. Annika pulls a bag out from under her chair. I had completely forgotten about the presents. Annika and I always put together a gift package for the aunties. This year's is bound to be a hit. Annika and I spent weeks researching to put together the perfect present. From the paper bag, Annika pulls out three packages wrapped in pink and yellow wrapping paper. As soon as we pass them around, the aunties enthusiastically tear into them. Inside the wrapping paper are matching fanny packs. They are black leather with the words Chen Sisters embroidered on top. The three aunties exclaim in delight. Annika and I grin at one another. Open them, I urge. There's more. Inside the fanny packs, each auntie has a mini tube of sunscreen, a bottle of hand sanitizer, and a stainless steel flask. It's a wine-tasting survival kit, I say. You can use the flask for water or moonshine, Annika says. I have a bottle of moonshine in my suitcase, if there are any takers. There are amused eye rolls at this. 
None of the aunties would be caught dead with a flask of moonshine, they'll fill them with water. They spend the next several minutes trying on their matching fanny packs and praising the goodies we packed inside. Their delight is infectious. What about your survival kits? Auntie Helen asks me and Annika. We're just going to steal from you guys, Annika says. Dom and I are too cool for survival kits. We need to have a few gray hairs first. Haha, <laughs> my mom says. Very funny. Since we're hanging with you guys, we're in good hands, I say. No one has to worry about anyone getting sunburned, sick, or dehydrated. Apparently, even when armed with a wine-tasting survival kit, you can still get sick and dehydrated. Despite Annika's insistence that alcohol is the perfect cure for a hangover, I feel queasy by the time we arrive at Moretti Winery. After the first two wineries we hit for the passport event, I've eaten as many hors d'oeuvres and tasted as much wine as my stomach can handle. I've never been a huge fan of crowds either. That had been yet another thing Oliver and I had disagreed on. I preferred quiet restaurants off the beaten path when we went out. He liked the places you had to wait in line for just to get inside. Between my headache and my stomach, I can't handle another huge crowd right now. I'm going to find a place in the shade to sit down, I tell Annika. Go on ahead with the aunties. No, come with us, Annika says. I want you to show me how you envisioned redesigning their wine label. I need to sit this one out and drink some water. I heft the water bottle I'm carrying for emphasis. Are you sure you're not just feeling weird because this is the winery that got you fired? The winery didn't get me fired, I say. You know what I mean. I'll admit that it's a little weird to be here, but I can handle it, I say. I'm still hungover, that's all. Here, take another two Tylenol. Annika fishes them out of her purse and plops them into my hand. I expect you to finish that entire bottle of water before we leave this place. I'm counting on you to be at the tasting bar of the next place we visit. Okay, I say, even though I'm not sure I can drink anymore today. Annika disappears into the throng of people. I move farther away from the crowd, looking for a place in the shade where I can get a little breathing room. I'd seen pictures of Moretti Winery. They had been part of the design brief. Somehow, the pictures didn't do justice to this beautiful courtyard paved with sandstone and surrounded by olive trees. The tasting room is covered with slate tiles and ivy. It sits up on a low hilltop, giving sweeping views of the vineyards below. It's truly beautiful. I follow a path around the side of the tasting room, thinking there might be other areas out back where people can sit. As I come around the corner, I'm greeted with the sight of a catering van and scurrying people in black pants and white shirts, all of them carrying hors d'oeuvres into the back of the tasting room. Clearly this area isn't for customers. I'm about to turn around and go back to the front when I see it. It's a truck, but not just any truck. It must be at least 30 or 40 years old. It's covered with dents and several layers of peeling paint, telling me it's been painted at least three times. There is dirt caked all over the wheels and wheel wells, like it takes regular trips through the vineyards. It's parked beneath a wide circle of olive trees. My younger cousins always watch cartoons at family parties. I've seen the Cars movie more times than I can count. This truck reminds me of the characters from Radiator Springs. There are stories hidden in those dents and layers of peeling paint. I can picture Trevor's grandpa or any of his friends behind the wheel of this truck. Before I realize it, I'm walking in a slow circle around the truck. My fingertips are tingling. Oh my god. I trail my hand over the chipped paint. You are glorious. I distantly make note of a frayed dog leash in the back, but don't think much of it. I sit cross-legged on the ground and pull out my sketchbook and pencils. I take sips of my water as I do, remembering my promise to Annika. The truck comes to life on the page. I blend red and black and blue, doing my best to capture the many layers of color. A wine draws my attention. I pause, glancing around to look for the source. I don't see anything except the scurrying caterers. Returning to my drawing, I study the front bumper of the car. An image of Trevor's Gramps surfaces in my mind. I flip back a few pages in my sketchbook, refreshing myself on the details of his face. 
Then I returned to my illustration, blending the features of Gramps into the front of the truck. Another whine. When I look up, I spot a pair of eyes staring out from beneath the truck. It's a dog. Hey there. I smile at the dog to show her I'm friendly. I'm Dom. What's your name? The dog whines again but doesn't move. All these people out here got you a little scared? Don't worry, you're in good company. I hate crowds. The dog edges forward, creeping far enough out of the shadows so that I can see her face. It's a medium-sized dog with a white face and a golden body. A pair of dark eyebrows rests on her forehead. Currently, those eyebrows are pulled together to form a triangle in the middle of her face. You're a pretty thing, I say. What's your name? The dog slinks out from underneath the truck. I realize with a start that she only has three legs. What happened to you, pretty thing? Did you get hit by a car? She hops in my direction, tail between her legs and her eyebrows still drawn together. When she's a few feet away, she stops and stares at me. I notice the chewed end of the leash dangling from her collar and put the pieces together. Ah, jailbird, I say. I see you found your way out of doggy prison. Another whine comes out of her throat. I hold out my palm in a gesture of good faith. After a moment, she hops forward and sniffs. A second later, she licks my palm. See, I'm harmless, I tell her. I like dogs. Want to come closer for a head scratch? I pat the top of my leg. Maybe I can draw you too. You can be the sidekick to the truck. I turn my sketchbook so she can see my picture. Her eyebrows do a funny dance on her forehead. They move to the left when she looks at my sketchbook, then move to the right when she looks at me. Come here, girl. Come sit by me. I pat my leg again. Her eyebrows flatten out, then she hops over and sits down on the gravel next to me. That a girl. I scratch her behind the ears, smiling when her tail starts to thump. Her eyebrows form the shape of an upside-down U when she looks up at me. You're a good girl. Let me see if I can incorporate you into my picture. I think every truck needs a doggy sidekick, don't you? Chapter 10 Truck Trevor Can I try the Zinfandel, please? A woman in a blue sundress with hair swept up off her shoulders gives me a flirty smile as she holds out her glass. With her is a group of four other girls, all of them sipping on wine as they chit-chat and snap selfies. Sure. I pick up the bottle and fill her glass, doing my best to return her smile. I'll know I asked for the Zin, the woman says, looking at the red wine swirling in the bottom of her glass. My head feels like someone is trying to split it open with an axe. Not even four Tylenol and three glasses of water had helped. This was supposed to be my day off. But Thomas had called me at eight in the morning and woken me from a blissful, dreamless sleep. One of our guys called in sick, he'd said, sounding disgustingly put together after a night of drinking. I know it's your day off but we need you in the tasting room today. We're going to be slammed. But Tequila, what about your crazy dog? I can't leave her all day. The last time I did that she chewed at one of her feet until it bled. And she wasn't the sort of dog who could hang out with me behind the bar. She dislikes big crowds as much as I do. Just tie her up in the back of the truck and park it under the trees out back. You can walk her on your brakes. Hurry up bro, we need you. He hung up. Of all the days to get stuck working behind the tasting room bar, it would have to be passport weekend. If I had any idea of how to get out of it, I would have done it. But the winery opened in less than two hours. There was no way to get someone else on such short notice. So I packed tequila into my truck and drove up the one-lane hard-packed road that wound through the vineyard and led to the back of the winery. Now here I was, two hours into the event, and faced with yet another wine rookie. If I wasn't so hungover, it wouldn't have bothered me. I normally enjoy talking about wine, even if I prefer to do it to a small crowd, not the massive crush of people that's in the tasting room today. I asked for the Zinfandel, the woman repeats. Her group of friends all look at me expectantly, waiting for the idiot behind the bar to fix his mistake. Beside me, Thomas laughs loudly at something one of his customers said. 
He looks sincerely interested in whatever it is the group of Chinese ladies is saying to him. They have matching black leather fanny packs. Mom and dad are on my other side, both of them laughing and smiling at the smash of customers around the tasting bar, all of them holding out wine glasses to be filled. No one in my family looks half as annoyed as I feel. In fact, they look like they're enjoying themselves. For some reason this just annoys me further. I dig deep for patience I don't feel. That is the Zinfandel, I tell the woman. No, Zinfandel is pink. She says this like she's talking to a small child. You're thinking of white Zinfandel, I reply. Zinfandel is made from a red grape. White Zin is a light pink because it's not fermented on the skins. I point to her glass. Regular Zin ferments on its skins and gives you red wine. That's what you're drinking. Most of the Zin you'll find today will be red. Dry Creek Valley is a popular destination for fans of Zinfandel. Oh. The woman's forehead wrinkles in disappointment. Well, I don't really like the red stuff. The red stuff. Right. You're in luck, I say, doing my best to mimic Thomas's charismatic personality. We do make pink wine but we call it rosé. We have a few cases in the back. I'll grab a bottle for you to try. The answering smile on her face would have made my father proud. I can hear his voice in my head. There's always a way to yes, he likes to say. You just have to keep at it until you find it. I'll be right back. I leave her and her group of friends clustered tightly in front of the bar. They busy themselves with snapping more selfies. Bro, Thomas calls, you going out back? I need to grab some of the rosé. Can you swap out the dirty glasses? He gestures with his chin to the three plastic racks of glasses stacked behind the tasting bar. There are clean ones outside the kitchen. Sure. I grab one of the plastic racks and head through the back door into a small temperature-controlled storage area. This is where we keep wine for the tasting room. I spot a stack of rosé cartons but stride past them. The girls will be fine snapping selfies until I get back with a new rack of glasses. Next to the tasting room is a private event building. It has a kitchen and a dining room that overlooks the vineyards. We use it for wedding parties and other events, but today, we're using the kitchen for passport. The back door is open while caterers go in and out the back door with trays of hors d'oeuvres for our guests. I spot the tall rack of glasses Thomas directed me to find. My truck is parked underneath a cluster of olive trees, a picturesque area that we sometimes decorate with outdoor lights to use for events. It's closed off today, making it the ideal place to leave my dog. I haven't checked on tequila since this morning. I decide to cruise by the truck and give her a pat on my way to get fresh glasses. The glasses clinking in the rack, I stride toward the truck. I'm halfway there when I realize tequila isn't in the back. Shit, I mutter hustling over. Tequila has been known to escape. Sure enough the leash is chewed in half, the frayed end looking at me like a bad joke. My dog is nowhere to be seen. Tequila. I raise my voice, panic setting in. If she makes her way over to the tasting room, I'm not sure what will happen. She's terrified of people and has a tendency to snap and growl at anyone who's not me. If she ends up in the crowd and bites someone, it could be really bad for the winery. Tequila. An answering yip comes from the other side of the truck. Is that your daddy? Asks a voice. There's something familiar about it, but I'm too worried about my dog to place it. Tequila. I rush around the truck, wine glasses jangling in the rack. Tequila, is that you girl? I skid to a halt, mouth hanging open. My dog is on the ground, the frayed end of her leash dangling in the gravel. She's draped across the lap of a young woman who sits cross-legged with a notebook, Noah's sketchbook laying open on her thigh. With her left hand she strokes the head of my three-legged dog. Her right hand moves in sure steady lines over the open page of her book. Our eyes meet. The surprise that flashes between us is like a lightning strike. I had not expected to lay eyes on Dominique Chen ever again, and if her expression is anything to go by, she hadn't been expecting to see me either. We stare at each other, neither of us saying anything. Her hair is pulled up in the twin buns I remember so well from last night. She looks hot as hell in her black crop top and dark green cargo pants. Tequila gives a soft yip, laying her ears flat as she snuggles her head into Dom's lap. I'm not sure what's more disturbing. 
Seeing the gorgeous girl I almost screwed in a drunken haze in the back of my brother's car, or seeing my dog in her lap. Tequila doesn't like anyone. Not my mother, not my sister, not my brother, not my grandpa, and not my dad. She doesn't let any of the vineyard workers get near her, either. The only person on the planet who can touch her is me. Yet here she is, snuggled in Dominique's lap as if the two of them are lifelong friends, looking up at me with her big eyes as if to say, Is this okay, Dad? Dom is the first to break the silence. Trevor. Hi. What what are you doing here? I work here. I heft the rack of glasses in my hand for emphasis. What are you doing here? Passport tasting, she says. I, uh, have a bit of a hangover. And I don't like big crowds. Her face flushes when she says this, and I'm pretty sure she's thinking about the back of my brother's Tesla. I came back here to get a break and I found this dog. Isn't she cute? Does she belong to the winery? Yeah, she lives here. Tequila the traitor, flicks her eyebrows in my direction but doesn't stir from Dom's lap. What are you drawing? This truck. Her eyes brighten as she looks at the rusty chipped paint of my beloved vehicle. The one Thomas loves to give me shit for driving when I have a twin to the Tesla like his parked in the barn. Isn't it gorgeous? Dom continues. I mean, I just love its character. It makes me think of the Cars movie. She bends back over her sketchbook and picks up another pencil, adding some lines to her drawing. I know everyone else likes Ferraris and those other fancy cars we saw in the parking lot, but none of them have a story to tell. I'd take this truck over your brother's Tesla any day. No offense to fancy cars, she adds, flushing again. They're just not my thing. While getting dressed this morning, I'd convinced myself the girl I had met last night was not half as gorgeous as I remembered her being. I'd had my drunk glasses on, clearly. No way could she have looked like she stepped off the set of a movie. But I'd been wrong. If anything, my drunk glasses had made her out to be even less beautiful than she is. Under the shade of the olive trees, with loose strands of hair around her face and my dog in her lap, she takes my breath away. I can't believe how I manhandled her. This is a girl who deserves to be wined and dined, not pawed by a drunken idiot. Can I see your picture? Despite myself, I take a step in her direction. Unbeknownst to me, a gnarled root from one of the olive trees has it out for me. It lunges up out of the ground, wraps around my ankle, and trips me. Or at least that's what it feels like. In reality, I'm so busy staring at Dom that I don't even see the old root. I trip. The rack of glasses flies out of my hands. Life turns into a time-lapse film. The dirty wine glasses somersault through the air, heading straight for tequila and Dom. My dog yips in alarm and leaps up, hopping for the undercarriage of my truck. Dom's sketchbook is tossed from her lap as she recoils from the wall of dirty wine glasses coming her way. All of this happens in a millisecond, but I see everything. It's like watching a horror movie on steroids. The plastic rack lands on the ground in front of me. I trip for a second time, catapulting over it. Dominique's eyes widen as she sees me coming for her, but she can't move faster than I can fall. I land on top of her. Wine glasses smash between our bodies. Her cry sends a spike of alarm through me. I plant my hands on either side of her body, pushing myself halfway up. Are you okay? My legs are sprawled over hers, and without meaning to, I notice how good she feels underneath me. Then I see the little cuts all over her arms and exposed parts of her chest and stomach, and the smashed glass littering her clothes. Is it really possible to destroy two sets of a girl's clothing in less than two days? Yes, apparently. For Trevor Moretti, such a thing is possible. Oh shit you're bleeding. I extract myself and help her sit up. I'm okay. She picks a few of the shards off herself, looking a little shaken as small rivulets of blood seep across the exposed parts of her skin. I am such a clumsy dumbfuck. Before I can consider what I'm doing, I sweep her up in my arms and hustle her over to my truck. I'll take you to my house. I have a first aid kit there. There's a first aid kit in the tasting room too, but I don't think she'd like everyone staring at her. There's also my dog to think about, who I can't let wander around. And maybe there's a tiny part of me that wants to be around her without any distractions. Your house? She asks. Yeah, it's just behind these vineyards. I gesture with my chin. 
She's so petite, I can hold her with one arm. I open the door to my truck and set her inside. I return for her sketchbook and pencils. As I gather them off the ground, I realize she'd been drawing my truck and my dog. This realization does strange things to me. Of all the picturesque things to sketch at the winery, she chose my three-legged dog and my ancient truck, probably the two most unpicturesque things in a five-mile radius. Tequila. My dog hobbles out from under the truck. At my gesture, she clambers into the front seat and settles herself on top of Dom's feet. Tequila likes Dominique. Tequila, who shakes at the mere sight of any human who isn't me. Tequila, who growls and snaps at anyone who gets close to her. She likes Dom. This unsettles me in a way I can't explain. Wait, is this your dog? Dom asks. Is this your truck? Yeah. Her eyes widen. Are you a Moretti? I nod. This is our family's winery. For some reason this makes her blush a deep crimson. Oh God. She folds in half, resting her forearms on her knees. I'm too worried about the blood crisscrossing her body to ponder her strange reaction. I drop her things onto the seat between us, then throw my truck into drive and pull onto the dirt road leading back to my house. Who says you need a plus one for a satisfying date night? Join Dot Wines and author Marie Matthew for your perfect Valentine's night in. For a limited time, get a bottle of Dot's rosé wine paired with a Hello Date Night book box. This Valentine's Day special comes with an autographed paperback copy of The Bad Girl List, a discreet feminine pleasure toy with a matching travel bag, a sensual rose candle, and a flirty bottle of Dot rosé wine. If you only want the wine with the book, we have that option available as well. Say yes to your perfect date night and head over to dotwinery.com to purchase this limited edition pairing today. Chapter 11. First Aid. Dominique. The realization that Trevor is a Moretti is nothing short of mortifying. What sort of dumb luck is this? He even ordered his own wine at Zeke's last night, but I'd been too drunk to put the pieces together. Thank God he will never know about the wine label design that got me fired. I'm sure his father picked one of the clone designs and loves it. I've seen plenty of clients thrilled with clone designs in my two years at Presidio. I am dripping blood everywhere. I do my best not to make a big deal of it, even though I want to shout at Trevor to drive faster. I pick at the little shards of glass poking out from my skin, setting them on my lap so as not to get blood on Trevor's upholstery. Although it would probably blend into the worn cracked leather that's already covered with the stains of a long life. The three-legged dog, Tequila, is nestled over my feet. Her dark eyebrows move back and forth on her white face as she alternates between looking at me and looking at Trevor. Her tail thumps a few times. She's never chewed through her leash before, Trevor says. Where did you find her? She was hiding under the truck when I came around back, I say. I didn't notice her at first but when I sat down and started to draw, she came out. I recall the frightened, curious eyes watching me from beneath the truck. She seems a little jumpy. She had a hard life before I adopted her, Trevor says. I normally wouldn't leave her tied up in the back of my truck, but the tasting room was short-staffed today. I can't leave her alone all day because she'll chew at her feet and make them bleed. Poor little tequila. Having picked out the biggest chunks of glass, I lean over and stroke her head. Hard life, huh? Don't worry if Trevor was my dad, I'd chew my feet too if he left me. I don't even realize how strange that last sentence sounds until Trevor chuckles. I am reminded that I'm in the car with a Moretti. Not just any Moretti, but the guy they first almost screwed in a bar parking lot. The same guy who also witnessed me become a puking princess. I had no idea this level of mortification was possible. The gnomes in my head are going to town with their pickaxes. Trevor pulls to a stop in front of the most adorable bungalow I've ever seen. It has shingled exterior walls and dark blue trim. He drives the truck under a carport and comes around to open the door for me. Oh hell, 
He knots his hands in his golden hair as he takes in the tiny cuts oozing blood all over my arms, stomach, and chest. I think it looks worse than it is, I say, but we're going to need a pair of tweezers to get out the smaller pieces of glass. He offers me a hand out of the truck, then leans in to get his dog. She can get into the truck okay, but getting out is a little shaky with only one back leg. He sets her on the ground and leads me around the back. I'm greeted by a long wooden deck with a few Adirondack chairs. There are two sliding glass doors. One of them is cracked open to let in fresh air. Trevor pushes it wider. This is my place, he says. Have a seat and I'll find the first aid supplies. I'm about to follow him inside, but something catches my eye. Next to his slider, wedged between the deck and the side of the house, is a small cluster of white wildflowers. Fluttering around the flowers are four little blue butterflies. They're tiny, each wing no larger than a dime. With the way the late morning sun slants down on them, the wings glow with soft iridescence. I want to stop everything, grab my sketchbook and draw them, but just then a droplet of blood drips off the side of my arm and onto the deck. I recall that I'm here to get myself cleaned up, not to gawk at nature. I hurry through the door. The inside of the bungalow looks like the interior of a magazine. A simple galley kitchen with dark blue cabinets and stainless steel appliances is set against the wall that backs up to the carport. A breakfast bar with pendant lighting rounds out the kitchen. The living room has dark leather furniture, a fireplace, and a flat-screen TV against one wall. A big rug covers the floor. It's cozy and snug. The place feels like an extension of Trevor. It even smells like his shirt, like the earth with a soft scent of spice from his bathroom products. There's also an underlying theme of a bachelor pad. There's a pile of dishes in the sink and on the counter. There are empty wine bottles on the coffee table, along with a stack of plates. I even spot a pile of clothes wadded up on the far corner of the couch. As Trevor disappears into what I can only assume is his bedroom, I tuck my hands under my chin and fold my elbows in an attempt not to drip any blood on his beautiful hardwood floors. Tequila hops inside and lays down on a dog bed in front of the fireplace. I wander over with the intention of giving her another head scratch, but the framed photographs on the fireplace mantle catch my attention. There are three of them. One is a family portrait in the vineyards. I spot Gramps Moretti in the middle. Tim Moretti is next to him, then Trevor, his mom and siblings around them. The other two pictures are of Trevor with a girl. The first is of the couple in graduation caps and gowns in front of a UC Davis sign. The second one is of Trevor and the girl in a field of bright yellow mustard flowers. They're dressed up, perfectly posed and beaming. If I had to guess, I'd say it's an engagement picture. A sick lump forms in my stomach. My mouth goes dry. Trevor has a girlfriend, possibly even a fiancé. She's Chinese like me. I guess he has a type. Except whereas I only wore pencil skirts and heels under duress, the beaming girl in the photograph looks like she was born in those four-inch heels. But wait, hadn't I agreed to be his date for a family dinner? It was hard to remember between the cosmos and the mortification of puking in front of him like an amateur at a sorority party. All I know for certain is that he wouldn't have these pictures out if this girl wasn't still important to him. Had he asked me out as a rebound date? A floorboard creaks. Tequila's ears flick in the direction of the bedroom doorway, and I know Trevor is behind me. I had thought the humiliation could not get worse. I was wrong. I'm going to burn that stupid bad girl list. I don't care if I have to max out my credit card or drain my 401k to make rent. Neither of those options can be any worse than turning around to face Trevor. He's standing frozen in the doorway, his face a mixture of emotions I can only begin to fathom. You have someone. I force the words out and somehow manage not to croak like a frog. Look, I'm really sorry about last night. Obviously I don't hold my liquor well, and then my cousin and her bad girl list got under my skin and… My voice trails off at the look on his face. I lost her, he says. What? He deposits the pile of stuff he's holding onto a sideboard by his bedroom door. 
Then he crosses the room and picks up one of the framed photographs, eyes roving the picture of him and the beaming girl in the mustard field. Tequila whines and drops her head onto her forelegs. This is Elle, Trevor says softly, tilting the picture so I can see it, like he's introducing us. She was my fiancée. She died two years ago in a car accident. Last night was the anniversary of her death. He finally looks at me. I wasn't myself last night, Dom. Here I was worried that I had accidentally coerced Trevor into cheating with me, or that I was a rebound for some awful heartbreak. But it's so much worse than that. He cheated on the memory of his fiancée, on the anniversary of her death. If his wrecked expression is anything to go by, it's the worst thing he could have done. If regret had a framed photograph, it would be Trevor's face. That's why I was looking for someone to bring to Sunday dinner, he says. My parents are driving me crazy. They want you to start dating again, I ask. Yeah. Look, I'm sorry things went the way they did. I'm not the type of guy who would take advantage of a drunk girl in a parking lot. I know evidence says otherwise, but I don't think that. I search his face, all the pieces clicking together. That air of something that surrounded him when he walked into the bar that night. The haunted sadness I saw when I drew his eyes. He shakes his head. You don't have to say that just to be nice to me. You couldn't even make eye contact with me on the way home last night. I was embarrassed, I say. If I'd been a few seconds slower, my Cosmo buffet would have ended up in your face. Plus, I don't want you to think I'm the type of person who throws herself at any random hot guy she sees in a bar. I've only ever had one boyfriend. His eyes widen. You have a boyfriend? No. I mean, I did but we broke up two months ago. His brow creases in that way I have come to recognize. That's right, you said something about that last night. Sorry if I'm fuzzy on the details but I know it has something to do with the bad girl list, right? The last thing I want to do is wax poetic on my breakup with Oliver. How about we agree that last night was a mistake and let it go at that? Yeah. He nods, setting the picture back on the mantle. Yeah, that's a good idea. I just didn't want you to think I'm an epic asshole. I don't want you to think I'm an epic slut. I don't think that. Neither do I. In a softer voice I add, I'm sorry about your fiancé. I can tell you really miss her. The air between us shifts. It feels like gravity, weighted and inevitable, and it's pulling me toward Trevor. I dig in my heels and refuse to budge. I notice the knuckles of his hand gripping the fireplace mantle like it's the only thing keeping him in place. I jump when my phone dings. Tequila whines as I dig it out of my pocket. Trevor backpedals back to the sideboard where he left the first aid supplies. It's Annika, I say. My family is ready to leave and they're looking for me. Crap, I am going to mess up the day's schedule. The aunties are not going to like that. The aunties? Trevor looks up from the medical supplies he's gathering into his arms. Yeah, Annika and I are here with our moms and our aunt. Are the aunties by any chance wearing matching fanny packs? My nose wrinkles in amusement. You saw them in the tasting room? I did. When he smiles, it eases some of the grief in his eyes. They looked like they were having fun. Tell them I'll give you a ride to the next winery after we get you cleaned up. No, it's okay. I know they need you back at the tasting room. I hate working these events, he says. You'd be doing me a favor if you gave me an excuse not to go back for a while. If you put it like that, okay. I dash off a quick text to Annika. Ran into Trevor, literally. Got cut on some wine glasses when he fell on me. Getting cleaned up at his bungalow. We'll catch a ride from him to the next winery. Her response comes immediately. OMG girl. That vacation fling is still within reach. Have fun. I'll run interference for you. This is followed by half a dozen eggplant emojis. Then she adds, you figured out he's a Moretti, right? As in, Moretti winery? I reply, Y-E-S. I ran into Thomas in the tasting room, she texts back. He was charming the socks off the aunties. Now get your groove on with that hottie and I'll catch you later. 
Another string of eggplant emojis follows this. I suppress a snort of laughter and tuck the phone back into my pants. What's so funny, Trevor asks. My cousin. She's still pressing the vacation fling angle. I roll my eyes to show what I think of that. Have you really had only one boyfriend? Did I say that? You did. Oh. I don't know why that fact makes me feel self-conscious. I clear my throat and make my way over to the breakfast bar, where Trevor has set out fresh towels, disinfectant, band-aids, and a set of tweezers. I have a tendency to commit to things, even when they aren't in my best interest. For like years, I add, thinking about how I'd stuck with Oliver and Presidio for so long. I'm not a halfway kind of person. He surprises me by saying, neither am I. Here, put your arms out on the towel so I can see them. I think it looks worse than it is. The blood is already drying. I rest my arms on the fluffy towel. He dabs a disinfectant wipe over my skin. I hiss in surprise when he hits a sore spot. Hold still. He gently grips my arm. There's still a piece of glass in this one. Using the tweezers, he extracts it. A zing of pain shoots up my arm, then disappears. I exhale. Better, he asks, looking up at me through his shaggy hair. I'd known he was smoking hot when I saw him last night in the bar, but the dingy lighting hadn't done him justice. In the bright light streaming over the vineyard and through his slider door, he looks like he fell off the cover of a GQ magazine. There's a bruise on his forehead where he hit it on the trunk last night, which makes me remember how hot his kisses had been. Better, I say faintly, doing my best to suppress the butterflies that make my belly expand when he looks at me. He continues to work on my arms. In the silence that stretches, I hear the click of Tequila's nails on the hardwood as she hops over and lays herself across my feet. I think your dog and I might be BFFs, I say, smiling as Tequila does that cute thing with her eyebrows. I might take a few pics of her so I can draw her portrait later. He doesn't say anything. When I look up from where Tequila nestles over my feet, our eyes meet. I can't decipher the emotion in his eyes. My dog doesn't normally like anyone except me. He breaks eye contact and resumes picking at my arm with the tweezers, setting the tiny pieces of glass on the towel. What happened to her? Before you adopted her, I mean? I don't know. I found her limping on the side of the road on a guy's trip to Tijuana with my brother. Her leg was broken. I hid her under a blanket in the back seat and paid the border patrol guy 500 bucks to let us pass. You bribed the border patrol? Is that so hard to imagine, he asks. I mean, I can see doing it for tequila, I'm just surprised it worked. We got lucky. He flashes a fond smile at his dog. Her eyebrows move as she watches him, but she doesn't lift her head off my feet. I think I got all the glass out of your arms. I need to look at those cuts on your chest. I promise this is not an excuse to feel you up. Noted, I say. The memory of his hands on me brings a fresh rush of blood to my skin. I'm sure he can see me blushing. The angle is wrong. You need to get under the lights. Here, he takes me by the shoulders and guides me around the breakfast bar so that I'm under the pendant lighting. Lean back so the light hits you. I lean, using my elbows for balance. He bends over me, shaggy hair concealing half his face. The smell of earth and spice hits me in the nose, that scent that is deliciously Trevor. It's just how his shirt smells, which I am definitely never, ever washing. His fingers gently press against my skin as the tweezers send a sting into me. Ouch. I jump without meaning to. Sorry. He glances at me, his face so close that our noses almost touch. When our eyes meet, it's all I can do not to squirm at the sensation that scorches through me. I had thought my attraction to him had been alcohol-induced, but my body is now setting me straight. I squeeze my knees together, suddenly paranoid that he might be able to smell how aroused I am. His eyes travel over my lips before he turns away and refocuses his attention on my chest. I swallow and hold my breath as he resumes touching me. It's so distracting that I barely feel the sting when he pulls out another few pieces of glass. If we use cheap wine glasses, you wouldn't be such a mess. My brain feels scrambled. I try to track his words, but I'm too distracted by his close proximity. What do you mean? 
The wine glasses. We buy Riedel glasses to give customers a better tasting experience, but the bowls are very thin. That's why they broke into so many pieces when they hit you. If we use cheap thick glasses, you wouldn't have so much glass in you. There, I think I got the last one. He straightens, holding up a piece of glass between the tweezers for me to see. Thanks. I start to push upright but he keeps me in place with a touch to my shoulder. Hold on, let me just check your stomach. He moves to keep me in the light, his head lowering to inspect the skin exposed under my crop top. When Trevor's hand touches my stomach, goose flesh erupts. Are you cold? I'm fine. He doesn't answer. I feel the sting of the tweezers. Is his whole hand on my stomach? I tighten my knees even more as the sudden rush of blood makes the skin prickle between my legs. That's the last piece of glass. Stay right there. Trevor sets the tweezers on the towel and opens another disinfectant packet. I don't move as he rubs the wipe across my cuts, his pinky finger trailing along my skin as he works. Is it completely sad that this is the most erotic thing that's happened to me in years? He applies two band-aids. There. He takes me by the shoulder and helps me straighten. You're all patched up. Sorry you look like Frankenstein. He winces when he says that. That didn't come out right. You're too? Short, I suggest. No. Too Chinese? No. Too weird? He barks a laugh. The sound sends more goosebumps sizzling over my skin. I like that I can make him laugh, especially when I get the impression he doesn't laugh much these days. I was going to say you're too pretty to look like Frankenstein, but I didn't want that to come off wrong. He thinks I'm pretty? I'd rather be pretty than too short, I say. You're not too short either. When his eyes travel over me, I feel another rush of blood between my thighs. I just meant the band-aids have a Frankensteinish quality. I'm going to stop talking now. He turns his back to me and starts to gather up the first aid supplies. I take advantage of the moment to gather myself, not wanting him to guess how incredibly turned on I am right now. If you ever get tired of the wine industry, I think you could find a job in an ER, I say. He flashes me an amused brow crinkle. Hell no. I prefer my vineyards to blood any day of the week. At least I didn't destroy your clothes this time. You think smashing glass all over someone beats spilling wine on them? I raise an eyebrow to show I'm teasing. He runs a hand through his shaggy hair. Maybe not, he says. His eyes soften when he smiles at me. The weight returns to the space between us. I feel like giant magnets are dragging me toward him. Again, I resist. Although he is way sexier and way sweeter than I'd realized last night, and I can officially say I'm crushing. But Trevor isn't looking to date. What happened last night was the byproduct of how much he misses his dead fiancé, nothing else. Trevor? A booming voice is the only warning we have. A big-shouldered man steps onto the back porch. Trevor and I jump apart like guilty teenagers. Tequila growls, the hair along her back lifting. Trevor, will you please put that little beast away, a voice says. A voice that I recognize. My stomach drops as Tim Moretti steps through the back door. Hello everyone and welcome to the author commentary portion of episode 4 of The Bad Girl List. I am Marie Matthew, the author of the novel that you're listening to. Now, usually on the episode, I start with wine because, you know, why wouldn't you start things with wine? <laughs> but today I thought I would do something a little differently. I'm wondering if any of you out there use oracle cards or tarot cards. It's something that I love. I have quite a few decks that I really love and they're just really nice tools to get in touch with your intuition and the universe to get guidance. And I was moving some things around in my office the other day and I found this oracle deck that I haven't used in a long time. And for those of you that are watching on YouTube, you can see what it looks like. But if you're listening to the podcast version, it's called the Rebel Deck and it's got a super cute unicorn on it <laughs> with um, kind of like a no symbol going through it. And the box says the Oracle with attitude, zero filter, 
plus zero fucks equals all fun. <laughs> so I haven't used this deck in a while, but I thought, hey, it'd be kind of fun to pull a card for the audience of Romance with Heart and Heat. So that's what we're gonna do. I've got the deck here. I'm just gonna give it a quick shuffle and say, hey, Rebel deck, what kind of fun information or guidance do you have for us today? And the wisdom is, you are giving too many fucks. The advice is to give zero. So there you go. <laughs> There's your daily advice from the Rebel deck. <laughs> Hope that gives you a laugh. And now it's time to say cheers. We're getting into the favorite part of my episode where I get to taste some super yummy, yummy wine. Mmm. Oh, today I am drinking Pinot Noir from Sonoma County. And the only thing that gets me as excited as some rosé, because you guys know rosé is my favorite, but I love Pinot Noir. I love Pinot Noir. Oh my God, this one is so delicious. We've got nice raspberries, nice blueberries. It has a really nice long finish. And what that means is the flavor of the wine permeates your taste buds and stays on your tongue after you've swallowed. So this is really delicious. I'm gonna show you what I'm drinking. This is Costa Brown Pinot Noir from the Sonoma Coast. And I have to tell you, I didn't actually know that I had this in my library. <laughs> There's this funny phenomenon about living in Sonoma County. Wine just shows up at your house. Like if people come over, wine usually comes with them and then stuff gets left at the house. I don't know, maybe this was a gift to my husband. I mentioned that uh, my husband gets really nice bottles of wine from being a teacher because there's a lot of wine families um, at his school. So anyway, who knows where this came from, but Costa Brown makes amazing, amazing Pinot Noir. And you should check out their website because we talked in the last episode, we did a little wine label 101 where we talked about the varietal and the appellation. But what's really interesting about Costa Brown is they have a lot of Pinot Noirs and I think they have six or seven and each one comes from a different appellation. So it's really interesting. A lot of times people will do tasting flights where they'll buy all the same varietal, but from all different appellations. So you can taste the difference that that particular wine growing region, uh, the impact that it has on the wine. So that's really interesting. I will link Costa Brown in the show notes. So if you're interested in tasting some yummy Pinot Noir from Sonoma County, I definitely recommend checking these guys out. Now we're gonna talk about this episode of The Bad Girl List. I love this part of the book where fate brings Dom and Trevor back into one another's path. And that was the topic that I wanted to talk about today. I was wondering, what do you guys think about fate or destiny or soulmates? Do you guys believe in such things? Do you guys think it's all hocus pocus? I don't know, I'm just, I'm just wondering what you think. Cause I know sometimes when you read fiction, you could have that reaction like, oh, that's really cool that it happened in the book, but it never happens like that in real life. And I have a real personal perspective on fate and destiny. And I have some thoughts on soulmates, but we'll save that for later. We'll talk about fate and destiny first because I, I definitely believe that there's people out there that you're meant to connect with. I believe there's situations that you're meant to participate in. And I do believe that the universe goes out of its way to align you with things that you are meant to come in contact with for your greatest evolution. And sometimes that's love and sometimes it's a really hard lesson. <laughs> sometimes it's heartbreak. There's a, a teacher that I follow who I, I enjoy some of his classes. His name is Remington Donovan. And I was taking a class of his one day and one of the things he said that always stuck with me was the universe is conspiring for you. And that was a really 
interesting thought. It was a really interesting perspective that I'd never heard before. And like I said, it really stuck with me. And I started to think about it. Like even times in my life when bad things have happened, there was a reason for it, right? There was some kind of a lesson, some kind of a growth, or I needed some kind of internal alignment because I'd been going the wrong way. For example, I used to run a lot, 50 miles, <laughs> 60 miles, like a really long way. And a lot of times I would get hurt and then I would get benched for weeks while I was waiting for my body to get hurt. And it used to frustrate the hell out of me. Now, as I've taken a deep breath and I, I look at that from perspective, the universe was telling me that that kind of running wasn't in alignment with my soul's growth or my body health. I do believe in fate and destiny, and I do believe that the universe aligns us with people and situations that help us with our growth. And sometimes the lessons are beautiful, uh, like meeting your true love, like Dom and Trevor, right? Like here it is, the universe is repeatedly putting Dom and Trevor within each other's scope in the story, right? First she meets the dad working on the label. Then she and her cousin randomly pick a bar and you know, Trevor shows up at the bar. And then the next day when she's out wine tasting with her family, she, she bumps into him. Yeah, you can really look at these sort of things and just say, oh, it's just a cute story, which it is. I hope you think it's a cute story. <laughs> uh, but there is a part of me that believes that this, this is how life works. The universe does drive us toward things that are important to us. And when we encounter those things, we, we do, we have these opportunities for growth and uh, sometimes like pure joy, right? And that's definitely what's happening with Dom and Trevor, right? The universe just keeps bringing them together and it's really helping them along because being together is gonna be really important for both of them in terms of their growth as human beings for Trevor for part of his healing and Dominique really breaking out of her rut. I didn't write the story with the intention of like weaving personal beliefs of mine into the story, but that's just something that happens when you write your own viewpoint of the world. However, wherever you stand and whatever color you see looking out of your eyeballs, that, that unique perspective does color your stories. Um, so it's even interesting now as I'm talking to you about it and I'm seeing like how much of my own perspective on the way the universe functions came through into the story. So that's really interesting. I also thought it would be fun to talk about soulmates because I do believe in soulmates. I don't necessarily believe in them in a singular fashion. Like I think we have lots of soulmates. I think there's a lot of souls out there that we agree to help each other out in different ways. And sometimes the way we help each other can be a little rougher. Sometimes the way we help each other can be really beautiful. I know that my husband is one of my soulmates. I have started learning how to access my past lives and I've definitely seen other lives that we've had together. So I know this is not our first trip around the sun together. <laughs> and I know that part of our partnership is helping each other grow as, as human beings. And I think a lot of partners do that. Sometimes uh, even just driving each other crazy helps one another with certain things that we need to grow with. And probably, I'm not gonna share the story today, but after we got married and when we sat back and reflected at all the events that brought us together, like it definitely felt like the universe was conspiring for us to end up together. And we've been married for almost 22 years and then together two years before that. So we've been together a really, really, really long time. And like our, our origin story as a couple, like it really 
felt like it was divinely guided and divinely led and it was hard and actually there were some there were some rock bottoms that led to us being together so yeah like i said i i do believe in fate i do believe in destiny and even though the bad girl list is a cute romance story the situations that are playing out i i do believe that the universe brings these kind of situations into our life and that they're all for our greatest good and sometimes the hardest and the ugliest ones are also for our greatest good but yeah we're, we are still we're, we're in the romance genre so we like our happily ever afters <laughs> so yeah we'll focus on those and in talking about the universe conspiring for you with things in your life that are hard if you Look at Dom's situation when she gets fired for her job. Like it is a rock bottom for her, but her losing her job is ultimately what starts guiding her towards meeting the love of her life. So that's what I mean about the universe conspiring for you and that even the hard things are there for your greatest good. So I'm really curious, like, what do you guys think? What do you think about fate, destiny, soulmates? Um, I'm, I'm super curious. So drop your comments uh, into YouTube, or as always, you can shoot questions or comments to me on my email at romancingmarie at gmail.com. So we're gonna wrap up this week's episode. And of course, the lasting advice today from our lovely Revel deck was you're giving too many fucks, don't give any. <laughs> so cheers to that. I hope you drink some good wine or some kind of delicious beverage today. As always, please like and subscribe to my channel. And remember, I have a special running with Dot Wines. You can get an autographed copy of the Bad Girl List or the Hello Date Night book box, which also has an autographed copy of the Bad Girl List with a beautiful bottle of rosé over at Dot Wines for a limited time. We're running this special only for the months of January and February for Valentine's Day. So thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you next week. Cheers, everyone. Have a great day. Bye.